Welcome to the Coastline Podcast. We exist as a church to help connect you to God and the people around you, to help you grow in your faith, and to challenge you to go into your community sharing the love of Christ. Three things, connect, grow, go. If you'd like information on what is going on at Coastline, follow us on Instagram and Facebook, or email us at hello at coastlinensb.com. Uh, Today, we're in part two of a series we started just a couple weeks ago uh, called Sermon on the Mount. As we sit and we prepare as a church staff and as our as our core team comes together to figure out, uh, you know, what we're going to be talking about, what we're going to be teaching on, uh, the events that are coming up, uh, outreach events, as well as just fun events like what we've got going on today in the, the, the Coastline Chili Cook-Off. How many of you guys put in a Coastline Chili Cook-Off entry today? Three people. Okay, well... Uh, Really excited. No, I'm just kidding. I I know there's plenty of chili out there. I want to thank you if you put in some time on that. Um, uh, I spend uh, spend probably eight hours more than I should smoking a chili. Uh, And so uh, I'm I'm sure it's going to be the best. And so when I'm holding that gold trophy, don't think it's rigged, guys. You're the one that's voting for it. It's a complete blind. Uh, But no, it's going to be a good time. Um, As we celebrate Football Sunday... As we look ahead for Easter coming in just, just six short weeks, uh, we got together as a staff and we tried to figure out what are the things that we should be speaking on? What's, what's the thing that we should uh, try to, to get the message as we approach this pinnacle of the story of Jesus in, the cru- in his crucifixion, death, and resurrection? As I look through the book of Matthew, I stopped right at this chapter 5, uh, on the Sermon on the Mount. It's, it's probably the most talked about sermon, the most talked about collection of Jesus' uh, teachings uh, than anything else in the Bible. As we look through it, there's so much to unpack. My hope is, is not to try to, I, I, there's no chance I'll even do a justice of the way Jesus delivered it, but I want to take just a quick portion of it this week and talk about the importance of it and how we can apply the things that Jesus is teaching us to our everyday life. And so in this passage of Matthew chapter 5, verse 13 to 16, uh, he specifically talks about us being salt and light. Now, one of the things that you've got to understand when you study the Bible is is you don't just read it for face value. You've got to understand some context of who he is speaking to. And so Matthew, the guy who's writing this, he's he's talking about what he heard Jesus say, is specifically writing to people uh, that uh, that were heavily involved in the Hebrew faith that they would have understood the Torah, that they would understand the way the Old Testament said that, that it was about, everything was about following the law. He, would, he was talking to people in that time and, and understood what their, their value system was and the things that, that, that changed their culture and the things that were uh, definitely uh, heavily focused on, on, uh, on value and finance and stuff like that. And so here Jesus... He's speaking to these people, and as Matthew's communicating it to the, to the Jewish people, he talks about the importance of being salt and light. Now, where we're at today, uh, salt has a, uh, a completely different uh, value system for us, right? When we think of salt, we think of surfing, we think of fishing, right? Uh, we think of being out on the boat. We think about spending time at the beach, right? Which if you get a chance to do that here now uh, in the month of February, that's definitely a, a huge win. Uh, we, we even, uh, there, you know, it was probably a decade ago, there was a, a big clothing company that came out. They, they rallied around this idea of, of salt life. How many of you guys ever bought a salt life t-shirt? No, yep, no, it, I, did, I did as well, I did as well. Um, 
But this idea of, of living life salty. The funny thing is, is, is as time goes on, our vocabulary changes. And so like even, even 10 years ago, to live life salty to compared to now being salty is a completely different thing. If you talk to young people, to be salty means to be sour, to be upset, to be negative all the time. How many of you guys know someone who lives a little bit salty? Don't be elbowing people next to you. That's not what I'm, that's not what I'm saying, right? But you know what I mean. There's, there's people in our lives that they live a little salty. So that's not what Jesus is talking about today. He's not saying, he's, he's not saying hey, it's important for you to be salty to the world around you. You got to jump and understand the context and who he's communicating to and what the value would have been at that time. In those days, uh, salt was a very important commodity. It was not something that was easily accessible. It wasn't something you just rolled down to your neighborhood Publix or whatever and, and picked up some Morton salt and put it in your salt shaker. There was some work and labor that was involved. Salt was a big deal because it's, it's something that, that flavors whatever it touches. Anybody here like a really good steak? Anybody, like, I, you could eat a good steak right now if the opportunity presented itself. Uh, I'm definitely that way. I mean, there's not a whole lot of foods that I don't like. I mean, as you can tell from my physique, I have a very rounded palate and body. My wife and kids are the opposite, though. Erica uh, can't eat, she will not eat any red meat whatsoever, uh, and she's left-handed. She's double weird. And then Ben, like pretty much, unless it's a breakfast food, he's not, he's not even trying it, right? If it comes out of a cereal box or it has like 98% carbs, he's sold, but that's about it. The good news, though, I've got some hope in my daughter, Olivia, because Olivia, she's my little buddy. We'll be going through Publix, right? And after we've gotten all the stuff that mom wanted, now that we got all the stuff that, that Ben needed, we walk past the, the meat section, past the steaks. And what comes out of my little nine-year-old's voice? She's like, Dad, we should get some steaks. I said, oh, by God, we should. Shouldn't we? So we went, and even uh, last night, we got, we got a couple steaks. We put it on the grill. But there's something incredibly important about it when it comes to cooking a steak that you need to know. If it's something you've never done before, you need to understand it's important for you to put salt on your steak. Put it before you cook it. Don't, put it, don't do the thing where you add it afterwards. You've got to put it on before you cook it. And please don't cook it past medium, okay? That's just a sin. We'll pray for you if you're one of these well-done people. But there's something about when you put salt on a steak that it just elevates all the flavors. It, it, change, it makes it that much better, it takes something that, that was okay and, and just takes it up to a, to a completely different level. And I feel like sometimes God wants us, his children, to do the same thing with a community that he's placed us in. That he wants us to have an, a, a positive impact. He wants us to help elevate and pick up those that are around us. He wants us to, to add flavor to our community that, is, that, that, that he has placed us in. I believe that we should have an effect on the world around us, that we should be, in the very biblical term, to be salt in the world he's placed us. Salt was something that was definitely used for flavoring at this time, as Jesus is talking about, but it's also something that was, was, it was used as a preservative, as a protectant. 
As you would have food that, that was valuable, and I mean, you think survival was a big deal. It's not, uh, those days, it wasn't like today where you can just go down to Publix or go to McDonald's or, or go to the Taco Shack and feed your family for $15. It wasn't like that back then. Food and survival was a big deal. And so they would use salt to preserve and protect the things that are valuable to them. I think that many times, as followers of Christ, we miss out on the opportunity to defend those that need to be defended. We live in a world that is very much dog eat dog. An eye for an eye. But Jesus has called us to live life differently. And part of that means that we extend grace and mercy and we defend those that are defenseless. I think in our communities, he's called all of us to that at some aspect. In Luke chapter 14, verse 34 to 35, it says this. Uh, it says, salt is good for seasoning, but if it loses its flavor, how do you make it salty again? Flavorless salt is good neither for the soil nor for the manure pile. It is just thrown away. Anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. Here specifically, Jesus talks about the importance of, of being flavorful, right, of, of elevating and helping up. But he also talks about this idea of salt being added to soil. And this was something, as when I read this this past week, I didn't understand exactly what was talked about. Back to the context of, of who he's speaking to. Uh, any of you here is, are, are good at gardening? I'm definitely not. Like, I live, I live on the beach in a, in a condo that I manage, and I'm so thankful that we don't have a garden because whatever's in it, I would kill. I'm just not good at taking care of, of vegetation. I'll eat some vegetation. But one of the things you need to know when it comes to gardening is, is you have to add nutrients to the soil. You've got to add fertilizers to allow things to grow. And so in these days, salt would have been something that is definitely at, could have been added to the soil to help the, the, the things that were being grown and, and, and that were going to be harvested to become better. I think in the community, in the, in the workplace where God has put us, I think when it comes to our church, when it comes to us individually, when it comes to us as a community, we should help each other to grow. We should be adding uh, nutrients to one another, building each other up, sharpening each other. That's why we push so much of importance towards doing small groups. It's because we know that if, if you will do life together, that each other, you will cause each other to grow. The part that I didn't understand is, is he talks about salt losing its flavor. I didn't understand that because I, I've never experienced uh, not salty salt, right? I've, I've experienced something that was too salty. You guys ever had something that was too salty? You put too much salt in something or you thought it was, oh, this is worse. You thought you put, were putting sugar in and you put salt in? Makes for a bad day, okay? Don't you don't want to have some delicious southern salt tea, okay? That's not that's not what that's not a delicious thing to have. Sweet tea. It's 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 crazy because you can't once you get something too salty, it's it's too salty. You can't like unsalt something. There's something that's changed. It's adjusted, it's gone too far. But here when he talks about losing its salt or losing its its flavor. I started doing some research and I realized that 
in those days when it came to people that were selling salt, one of the ways that they would make more money is they would dilute it. They would put stuff in it. They would add things to it, additives to, to make it where you look like you got a bunch of salt, but really, when it came down to it, you would not have enough salt. It would start to lose its flavor. I think when I read this, the thing that comes to my heart is to, that we've got to protect what we allow in to our lives. I think we live in a world that, that very much wants to have access to us 24-7. Our phones, our TVs, even our cars nowadays, they constantly want to speak into our life. And I think there comes a time in which we've got to decide, I'm going to be the one that says this will or will not come into my life. Because if we just allow in everything, I think we, we run the risk of losing our saltiness. In John chapter 1, um, John communicates uh, some characteristics of Jesus. But he doesn't call him Jesus at the point. He uses the term, the word, to describe Jesus. He says this, John chapter 1, verse 1 through 5, is, uh, it says, In the beginning was the word. It already existed. The word was with God. The word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through him, and nothing was created except through him. The word gave life to everything that was created and his life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness cannot extinguish it. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 14 to 16, the back end of, of this message in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, says, you are light of the world. Like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden, no one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for those to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. Jesus switches gears and he's, he's communicating them about salt and they understand the, the parallels that he's drawing. And then he switches to, to light. He communicates about light because uh, he, when it comes to light, light is, is not the opposite of dark. Dark is the lack of light. But in no way are they equal to one another. We're not going to do it, but if you think even in this room right now, if I were to say, hey, we're going to turn all the lights off. And if we just added one little light to the room, the darkness would start to recede. There, there's no chance ever that the darkness overtakes the light. In this, Jesus is communicating, he said, you don't understand the power that you have over the darkness in this world. It's, it's not a fair fight. You know, I love where we live uh, in New Smyrna. Um, every now and then when I'm fishing, I'll go uh, a little bit north here to uh, Ponce Inlet. And... Uh, I love uh, just even the, 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 the way that the horizon looks with the jetty and the, the lighthouse on the edge of it and stuff like that. How many of you guys have ever been to the Ponce Inlet Lighthouse? handful of people. You ever walk to the top of it? Yeah, you, you have to stop and pray along the way. That's a tough one, dude. I'm going to tell you what. I don't know how many flights it is, but like I did it a couple times. Your boy about got saved halfway up again. It's a tough walk. I did some research this past week. Do you know that um, 
with a, with a name like Ponce de Leon Inlet or Ponce de Leon Lighthouse. You think that's something that, that's been the name for, for centuries, right? It, it's been the name from the very, very beginning. I was shocked to find out uh, that that is not the case, that Ponce de Leon Inlet uh, started to become Ponce de Leon Inlet back in 1927. But before that, does anybody know what it was called? Mosquito Inlet. All you realtors in the house, how many of you guys want to sell a house in Mosquito Inlet? Sell factors <laughs> right through the roof, right? All of us that called uh, this area home, we wouldn't mind it being called, called Mosquito Inlet now because high, uh, house prices will start to go down a little bit, right? Not so many people come over from Orlando during spring break for Mosquito Inlet. I don't know. It's called Mosquito Inlet all the way up until 1927. The inlet that you see now looked nothing like the inlet back then because the inlet back then was incredibly wide and in different parts it was extremely shallow. As the Army Corps of Engineers have brought in jetties and put in and built Dunes Park and everything like that, they've, they've made it a lot more safer of a passageway. But before that, it was incredibly dangerous. And if you were coming up from the ocean side to Mosquito Inlet back in the day, during the day, it was, it was probably all right. You could figure out where the waves were breaking. You could see maybe where the sandbars were. But at night, you could not. At night, when the, when the light wasn't there, it became a very dark and dangerous place. So November 1st, 1887... They lit the Mosquito Inlet Lighthouse for the very first time. Mr. William Rolinski climbed all the way to the top of it and lit the light. And they said they could see it from something like 20 miles away. And as that light was lit, no matter the darkness, no matter the sea conditions, the sailors could find their way into Mosquito Inlet because of light showed him the way. The lighthouse was built with something like 1.25 million bricks, and it stands 188 feet and six and a half inches from its base. Because it's so high, because it's so bright, it helps navigate an extremely dangerous and what sometimes can be deadly place. And I can't imagine what it would be like if it wasn't there. Our world would be a little bit different in this little part of paradise if it wasn't for the time and what people put in to climb the light, that lighthouse and light that beacon every night. First John 1, 5 through 9 says this. So this is a message we heard from Jesus and he now declares to you, God is light, and there is no darkness in him at all. So we are lying to ourselves if we have fellowship with God, but go on living spiritual darkness. We're not practicing truth, but if we are living in the light, as God is in the light, then we have fellowship with him and each other. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sins. If we claim we have no sin, we are only fooling ourselves, not living in the truth. 
But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all wickedness. I, uh, man, I, I, I turn on the news these days. Um, it's hard not to see that we live in a dark and broken world. It doesn't matter what news agency you look to first or second or whatever. It's hard to sit there and watch it and not think of things that would anger you or make you worried, make you frustrated at the world. Seeing people at, at their lowest. It's a dark place. It's a place that scares me to, to think about what my kids are going to be growing up in. As a father, I want to be, I want to be a light to them. But I think we also have the ability to be a light to those around us that are also navigating through a dark place. Those around us that are trying to figure out their way through the, the treacherous seas and the storms and the, the darkness that is before them. Here Jesus says, he says, be a light in a dark place. I, um, today is a, a pretty big day because it's football Sunday. There's a big game that we're all going to be sitting around and are sitting down to, to watch here later on tonight. And um, I don't claim to be a, uh, a, a huge football fan. I watch this game every year, but uh, I don't watch many more. But as we, as, as we get ready to watch it, I, I stopped and did a little research to try to you know, see who was in the game and who's playing and try to get a little invested so I'm, as I'm watching I know what's happening. And... Uh, I came across a story of a uh, quarterback for the 49ers named Brock Purdy. Many of you guys have heard of him. I'm sure seems to be a pretty fantastic quarterback. But the story that I heard about Brock was pretty shocking. See, Brock today is uh, the starting quarterback for the 49ers. But in 2022, when he was drafted, he was the very last pick in the NFL draft. Very last. I feel his pain. Kickball teams were picked in middle school. Your boy was not first, I'm going to tell you right now. But Brock was the, the 262nd pick. He got drafted to the, uh, the 49ers, and in his first season, he was the third-string quarterback, which means you're third-string, you ain't getting a whole lot of play time. A couple of weeks into the season, though, a few weeks, the first-string quarterback had an ankle injury. A few weeks after that, the second-string quarterback had an injury that took him out for the rest of the season. Here's Brock, goes into the game, and the very next game, the first game he ever started as an NFL quarterback, the first game that he ever, he ever stepped on the field in the first quarter as the starting quarterback for the 49ers, they face this little team out of Tampa Bay who's being led by a man named Tom Brady. Talk about a little bit of pressure. I, I don't know if I'm a 49ers fan, but I, as I look back and I saw the score afterwards of that game, it was like, it was like 37 to 6 or something crazy. Brock Purdy 
led his team to an incredible, incredible victory over Tampa Bay and Tom Brady. And you would think that being a rookie, that I would go straight to his head. But as I watch video after video of this young man, as, as he was interviewed about how he got to where he was, I, I quickly saw that it wasn't because of pride. It wasn't, it wasn't just because of hard work. But at some point, he, when people ask him, man, how, how are you here? And what got you to this point? He gives all the credit to God. As always, Coastline, know that you are loved and that the best is yet to come.